Welcome to Mornings with Matt. I'm Trey, and I'm covering for my dad again today. Uh, if you weren't here at the beginning of the week, I shared my dad was studying for his PhD comps this week and asked me if I would cover this time for him. And so keep him in your prayers as he's studying for his tests uh, to finish his PhD. Pray maybe a little bit more for my mom than for him because she's having to endure him studying for his tests and taking his tests. So what I decided to do to kind of pick up on where my dad had been going with all of this was walk through what I do in my devotional time. I read through a Bible every single year. I had a mentor, um, Dr. Tommy Nelson from Denton Bible Church, who challenged me years ago, hey, Trey, buy a Bible every year in December, read through it that next year, and then give it to someone you're discipling at the end of the year. And I did that. Uh, I think this is year nine or year 10. I can't remember. Um a few years ago, I shifted it just a little bit and I started um, going through and underlining, taking notes in. If I preach sermons, I would have my outlines in the Bible, one for each of my four kids. So uh, this Bible for this year is actually Scout's Bible that I will give to her when she turns 18 and graduates and is headed off to school. I want to make sure that I do everything I can as a parent to pass on the things of the Lord to my kids. So I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Maybe join me in reading through the Bible this year. This is a great time. We're going through Joshua. You can pick a plan. Just jump right in to what would be going on in April and, and just press on through the year. I promise you it'll be a blessing. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 13. We're going to be at 13, 14, 15, and 16 today. Uh, a little bit of background. If you're just jumping in with us, the first half of the book of Joshua tells the story of Israel coming into and taking the promised land. The second half, which is what we're jumping into today in chapter 13, everything becomes about dividing up the land. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today is what Israel did with the land. And there's something that kind of stands out as we look at this section of the book of Joshua. And really, it's a it's a negative thing. It's not a positive thing. As you start reading through the text, you're going to see that there is work that God has called Israel to. There is warfare that God has called Israel to, and they are negligent about that. And so today, we're going to talk about spiritual battles. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about indwelling, lingering sin. And we're going to see and think through together uh, the work that God has called us to do spiritually. When I look at chapter 13, the subject heading for chapter 13 is unconquered lands. I don't know what it is in your Bible, but that's what it's in my Bible. Unconquered lands, which should be a red flag for you as you're reading through this. They were called to take the land to remove everyone from the land, but they didn't do it. Look at verse 13 of chapter 13. It says, but the Israelites did not drive out the Geshurites and the Maacathites. So Geshur and Maacath are still living today in Israel. There was work to be done and it wasn't done. In my Bible, I have that underlined in red. I use a red pen to note sin or negative things as I'm reading through. It's underlined in red because there was work that they were called to do that they didn't do. Now, I'm going to skip over uh, a portion of chapter 14 with Caleb. I want you to look with me at the end of chapter 
15. At the end of chapter 15, 15 is all about Judah's inheritance, the inheritance that they get. At the end, in verse 63, it says, But the descendants of Judah could not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites still live in Jerusalem among the descendants of Judah today. So again, we're seeing this same language. You pick it up in chapter 16, the last verse of chapter 16. Verse 10 says, as we're going through Ephraim's inheritance, it says, however, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites still live in Ephraim today, but they are forced laborers Again, keep going. You're going to see this in chapter 17. While we're not covering 17 and 18 today, I just want to point this out. It says in verse 12 of chapter 17, the descendants of Manasseh could not possess these cities because the Canaanites were determined to stay in the land. And in chapter 18, uh, you get this charge from Joshua. In verse 3, he says, how long will you delay in going out to pos take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, gave you? They are not doing what God has called them to do. And in fact, what they're doing is they're tolerating these people. And we talked about this yesterday. They are aligning with these people. They are not cooperating with God. So, let me move a little further ahead. If you've got your Bibles, turn just a few pages over to Judges chapter 1. I want to show you, because I think it's important to see how big of a deal this is. In Judges chapter 1, pick up in verse 27. It reads, At the time Manasseh failed to take possession of Beth Shean and Tanakh and the surrounding villages, or the residents of Dor, Iblim, and Megiddo and their surrounding villages, the Canaanites were determined to stay in the land. When Israel became stronger, they made the Canaanites serve as forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Verse 29, at that time, Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun failed to drive out the residents. Uh, verse 31, Asher failed. Verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out the residents. Uh, verse 34, the Amorites forced the Danites into the hill country and did not allow them to go into the valley. I mean, I mean it's just this repetition of Israel not doing what God has called them to do. You can see how bad it was. This whole area, this whole section of my Bible is covered in red ink. It wasn't a pocket of Israel. It was every single tribe failed to do what God had called them to do. So look at chapter 2 of Judges. Uh, verse 11, it says, The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the Lord of the, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord, for they abandoned him and they worshipped Baal and the Asheroths. You're just going to see in the book of Judges, the consequences of the decisions that the people in the book of Joshua made. Their, their unwillingness to remove the people, their unwillingness to do the hard work, to engage in spiritual battle, to be faithful to their faithful God, created this whole process. So I have written in my Bible, I have a, a section here where I've notated there is a cycle to the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, you see, one, Israel does what's evil in the Lord's eyes. They do not remove the people from the land, and so the people become a snare for them. It's this cycle. It goes round and round and round, but it, it's almost a, a cyclone because it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, Israel does what's evil in the Lord's eyes. God punishes Israel with enslavement. 
Israel cries out to the Lord. And let me go back, that second one, God punishes Israel with enslavement each time the slavery gets longer. Each time, primarily, they're doing what's evil in the Lord's eyes gets worse, so the slavery gets longer. They cry out to the Lord. Fourth, the Lord raises up a judge, someone to deliver them. And those judges, character-wise, get lower and lower and lower. Fifth, Israel is delivered from who has enslaved them. And then sixth, there's peace in the land, but that peace lasts for less and less time as you go through the book of Judges. And while we're not looking at the book of Judges, I think it's important to note that what we're talking about here in chapters 13 through 16, what Israel is not doing and not engaging in the warfare, it has a consequence. It comes at a price. It comes at at bondage and slavery and, and worse and worse progressive sin. It's easy to miss that a major part of the life of a believer is to be spiritual battle. We've been called to fight against the flesh. The New Testament, we're going to get three enemies. You have the world, the systems of the world that are seeking to conform you, which is why Paul says we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed through the renewing of our mind. Uh, The world is constantly seeking to conform you. You have your own flesh that is waging war within you. Paul says, I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. We all struggle with our flesh, but you also have the devil. You have a very real enemy who is after you. He is seeking to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And and, and we don't wake up most days thinking about the reality of an enemy that we live in a war zone, but it is a very real part of our lives. And Joshua 13 through 16 is pointing out to us, we have been created, we have been called by God, we have been brought into a battle, into doing spiritual warfare. My pastor, uh, Kyle Eilerman, said in a sermon series recently, the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. But for so many of us, we're just playing around at spirituality instead of being serious about addressing sin in our lives or instead of being serious about understanding the world that we're in the systems of the world that are pressing on us to think a certain way believe a certain way um, to shape the worldview if you will the way we see life and think about God it's constantly against us and that we have an enemy that's constantly hissing lies in our ears we've got to hear those things to take those thoughts captive to speak truth truth to them just like Jesus did in the wilderness. There was a movie that came out a few years back called The Usual Suspects. And in that movie, there was a line from kind of the main character. He said, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And that's sadly true for the church, it feels like. A lot of us have zero uh, grounding for an enemy, zero thought of an enemy who's very real. Um, So what I want to do is maybe point out two things if you turn back to the second half of chapter 14. As we look at Caleb, Caleb is such a unique character, and I think he was stuck in the middle of this area to show us someone who was aware of the spiritual battle, someone who was aware of what was going on, and someone who did what we have been called to do, which is to engage in spiritual battles. Caleb gives us two things. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Caleb was committed. Um, Caleb wasn't a Jew. He was like Rahab, one who had come alongside Israel and and had become a part of Israel through uh, a decision and devotion. 
Um, he had chosen to follow Yahweh, to follow the Lord. And so Caleb is this faithful Jew. He is one of two from that original generation back in Egypt who is still with them because he, as he went in as a spy with Joshua and the other 10, he and Joshua are the two who believed in the Lord and said, God will give us the land. We don't have to fear the people. We can trust God. He was committed. He was committed even now. You look at this text. He's saying, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to go after this. He says, um, I want on that day, Moses swore to me, the land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever because you have followed the Lord, your God, completely. He was committed. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask myself a question. How committed are we? Paul in Ephesians says we've got to be careful that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind that blows. We want to be anchored into, rooted into Jesus. How committed are you to Jesus? How committed are you to reading the Word of God? How committed are you to worshiping with your church? How committed are you to being with the people of God, to being uh, not just with them, but with the Lord, with the people of God, that is confessing sin, worshiping together, actively engaging. So many of us kind of take a backseat role in our faith. It's someone else's job to lead me. It's someone else's job to guide me. It's the church's job instead of engaging in the work. Um, the picture we get of the church in the New Testament are are people working together, a body where there's fingers, there's hands, there's feet, there's eyes, there's a head, all of us coming together to make this body that does the work God has called us to do. How committed are you to the things of God? Maybe that's something you need to focus on this morning is your commitment. Am I committed to the things of the Lord? Is there an area in my life that I need to grow in my commitment? Here's the second thing. Caleb is courageous. Caleb is bold. He is courageous. He is fearless. Don't you love, here's this 85-year-old man who says, I'm just as strong as I've ever been. I was 40 years old when Moses, uh, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. Uh, I followed the Lord completely. Um, He says, as you see in verse 10, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he promised since the Lord spoke the word to Moses. Uh, Here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for my daily task is now as it was. Then he's saying, I'm just as strong as I was when I was 40 years old. And look, what I love is he's not just strong. He is courageous, strength in action. He says, give me the hill country. Why the hill country? He says, I've heard that's where the Anakim are. The Anakim were described as being tall is being large. So uh, like Goliath, these are giants. And look what he says, as well as they have large fortified cities. Listen to the boldness of Caleb. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. He is committed. He is courageous. He is looking for a fight. How many of us does that describe us? That we are looking for a spiritual fight. We are looking for an area to go after by faith and see God do what he says. He can do. Uh, I love the commitment. I love the courage of Caleb. We're called to be courageous, to step into the difficult things and to battle. 
So maybe today there is a specific battle in your life, just like Israel had. Maybe there's something that you need to deal with. Maybe there's an area where there's anger or bitterness or an addiction or some type of lingering struggle, some, some, some stronghold the enemy has in your life. You've got to be committed to uprooting that thing, to getting it out. Uh, there was an old preacher, Thomas Chalmers, who preached a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. If you have an, uh, an, a weakness, a struggle, a stronghold in your life, an addictive sin, he says that you replace that sin with something that you love more. Think about Indiana Jones for another Indiana Jones reference. Uh, and the very first Indiana Jones where he's looking at that idol, that golden idol, and he's got that bag of sand, and he's trying to figure out, do they weigh roughly the same amount? And he's going to swap them out. That's exactly what he's talking about. You unroot sin from your life by loving something else more. The Word of God. God himself, that we love him. We love hearing about him from his word. We've got to remove idols by replacing them with something that is more beautiful, more valuable, more lovely to us. So maybe today you need to be reminded that, that you have a strong God who loves you. And maybe that would unroot some of those things in your life. Maybe there is some worship of something else that needs to be removed. I'm not sure what that is for you, but It's exactly what God has called us to do. It's what's being talked about in the book of Joshua. Just think about this with me. In the land, the Canaanites worshipped Baal. Baal was a a, a god of rain, a god of weather. Um, He was a god um, who provided for them for their lands and the minds of the people of Canaan. So when Israel comes to the Jordan River and God, it says that the, the banks overflowed at harvest time and God stops the water and they go across. It is a picture that God is the true God, not Baal. That harvest, that flood, Baal was impotent compared to Yahweh. And then when they get in and they're battling at Ai and you see the hail coming down, uh, if Baal is in control of the weather, if Baal is in control of these things, how how come it's being used against them? It's just like what happened in Egypt where every one of the plagues was confronting an Egyptian god. You're seeing God confront the people in the land that Baal is no god. Yahweh is. He is engaged in spiritual battle. As his people, we have been called to engage in spiritual battle. Um, Joel Beek, uh, who is a fascinating author, has written a little book called Fighting Satan. I just want to encourage you today in what Joel Beek has written. He says in here, if this is an area of spiritual warfare, spiritual battles that you want to read, and this is an incredible book to read. Joel says, as believers living in the short space of time between the lightning and thunder, and what he means by that is as we live between what God has already done on the cross and forgiving our sins and what we know is ahead uh, in Jesus' return where we will be glorified like we talked about yesterday. He says, our responsibility is to tear down Satan's strongholds in our personal lives, in the church, and in our nation. And the power of Christ, our daily challenge, is to deny Satan his goals, first by living by faith, second by bearing fruits, and third by making the truths of Christ and his victorious gospel known to others. We have been called to battle spiritually. Joshua 13, 14, 15, and 16 call us not to tolerate sin, not to let the enemy constantly be advancing, but for us to engage in spiritual 
battles. So I'm going to pray for you today. I'm going to pray for the battles that you're going through. I'm going to pray that you would have strength to fight the good fight today. And I'm going to pray for all of us that the Lord would grow us as warriors in his word, as warriors in his spirit, as warriors in his work to spread his glory across the earth like the waters cover the sea. So let's pray. God, we thank you today for your grace, for your mercy, for the book of Joshua that encourages us to do the difficult work, to engage in spiritual warfare. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters right now. Maybe there is a besetting sin. Maybe there is a struggle. Maybe there is something in their life right now. I pray that they would know your power and that they would know your presence just like Israel did. I pray that you make us a people who know what it means to be in your word and to use your word as a sword to combat the enemy. Help us to know truth so that we can discern lies and help us to continue to advance because there are millions of people around the world who need to know what Jesus has done for them. Help us to fight the good fight today. Help us to advance like Israel and to take the land that you've called us to take. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I pray that encourages you today. Remember, you can read Joshua 13 through 16 today. If you have questions, comment them below or email me and I will do my best to get you an answer. Blessings. See you guys.